Good morning. It's really good to finally be here. My wife Judith and my son Callum, as you've already seen, are here with me today, and our daughters Chloe and Lily will be coming in for the induction service this afternoon. If we haven't met, maybe I should have started by saying my name is Alex, and I look forward to getting to know you a bit, uh, starting with the barbecue uh, after the service today, the lunch. We as a family, and, and myself as an individual who was here since Tuesday in the office, are so thankful for the welcome, the warm welcome you've given us, and for how many of you have told us that you have been praying for us during this transition. Moving is a big change, and it comes with its share of challenges. I remember when we moved from downtown Toronto to Guelph in 2010, that was also a big change, and it wasn't easy. One small example of that is that our kids used to love going to the Mandarin restaurant up at Eglinton and Young. Maybe you've experienced the Mandarin buffet. So when they found out, this is quite a few years ago now, when they found out that there was no Mandarin in Guelph, they were really unimpressed. And Lily, who was four years old at the time, said to us, how can we be truly happy in a city without a Mandarin? A few years later, she of the inquiring theological mind would at one point ask me if there was going to be an all-you-can-eat ice cream bar in heaven. As it turns out, John Calvin never ruled definitively on that matter. But you know, our family over the years has gone to fewer and fewer buffets for a variety of reasons, but one of them is that, I'm not sure if you've noticed this about buffet restaurants, but People struggle to pay attention to each other, to have good conversation. We eat a lot of food. The kids get their ice cream fix, to be sure. But we're so focused on all the choices, the abundance of food, the array of dishes, getting up, walking around, making sure we try everything that looks good. It's almost like we seem to forget we're with other people at times. It's really hard to have a good conversation at a buffet restaurant, I find. We always leave well-fed, usually way overfed, but I'm not sure that we leave satisfied or any more satisfied at a deeper level. In this story we've heard from Luke chapter 9, we see that God wants to satisfy our hunger. That is close to his heart. And through Jesus, he invites all of us to get involved in how he's feeding people. He interrupts our plans, he sets new priorities for us, and he takes our low expectations of what's possible in our lives. And he opens our eyes to a new vision of what could happen and of what is happening now all around us. If you're familiar with the life of Jesus told in the New Testament, you may have heard of the feeding of the 5,000. But did you know this is the only miracle that shows up in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? That's not an accident. The repetition tells us that this story matters. And Luke is making a particular point in his version here. He's giving this story a certain spin. 
he emphasizes the role of the twelve most of all. This is the first miracle that Jesus has not done on his own. Of course, God could have done the job without our help. And he could do it with greater efficiency. But he knows that we need to learn. After all, that's what the word disciple means. It means someone who is in the process of learning, not someone who's got it all figured out. And so God has made those of us who follow Jesus part of his plan. He involves us, every one of us. So let's situate ourselves in Luke's gospel. At the beginning of this chapter, Jesus sent out the disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That's how their mission is described. Now they're returning from their various adventures as we pick up the story. You can imagine them that each one of them is brimming with excitement, waiting to report on what's happened. I'm guessing they want Jesus to themselves at this point. After all, they've learned, they've earned their time with him. They've carried out the mission he sent them on and apparently done it well. They've done good work. But they're still learning. They're still disciples. And so Jesus uses this moment to channel their enthusiasm, to take them deeper in relationship with him. He gives them an impossible challenge that is also very much an everyday challenge. He points them to that hungry crowd and he says, you give them something to eat. How would you respond if you'd been in their shoes? I think the unwillingness of the disciples is pretty obvious. They tell Jesus, we've only got enough for ourselves, maybe not even that much, and surely you aren't suggesting that we should go out and buy food for this huge crowd. We simply cannot afford that. I imagine they must also have been thinking something like this. Look, Jesus, our plan was perfectly reasonable. We've done a lot for these people, and now they should go away. They can take care of themselves. Maybe there's even a bit of an edge in their reply to Jesus. After all, didn't he, at the beginning of this chapter, tell them that they should travel light without money, without bread, without even an extra shirt? Perhaps there is sarcasm, even resentment, when they say, unless you actually want us to go and buy food for all this crowd. I was in a coffee shop the other day, and I saw two friends over in the corner having an animated discussion. It was so clear that they were enjoying each other's company. The friendship was glowing. Their body language was so natural, they honestly radiated a kind of joy. And it was fun to watch them out of the corner of my eye. But then they were interrupted. Someone came along, and it was clear to me that one of these two friends knew this person, and the other did not, and this newcomer interrupted the conversation. And the one who knew him greeted the person. And then this newcomer, which we shall call the interrupter, crossed a line. He pulled up a chair and sat down. 
You know there are rules you're supposed to follow on these occasions, right? If you happen to run into someone in a coffee shop or a restaurant, other places too, when they're in the middle of meeting with someone, it's okay to say hi, maybe even to stop and chat for a minute, but not more than 60 seconds. Perhaps 90 seconds in a real pinch. And so I could see the impatience and the frustration growing in the one who didn't know this newcomer. Finally, after about 20 minutes, the interrupter left. There was an apology offered, but it seemed like the two friends never really got back to their original happy place. It was like the frustration the one felt because all that he was enjoying had been interrupted for understandable reasons. That frustration kept him from returning to the place of joy he'd been in. Can you relate to that at all? When were you last interrupted, maybe in a small way or in a bigger way, with the plans you've laid in your life? When have you been forced to wait recently against your will? When God sends us someone or something that gets in the way of what we were planning or what we'd been enjoying, how do we react at those moments? Do we consider that it may be the Holy Spirit offering us something new, pointing us in a direction that we might not have gone? It's pretty clear, based on how the disciples behave, that they want Jesus to themselves at this point. They don't want to share him. The twelve are with Jesus, they're close to him, And that's the best place anyone can be. But when they return from their travels, they take it in the wrong direction. They become exclusive. They turn away from that hungry crowd and they want Jesus for themselves. But Jesus pushes back. Jesus points them to the crowd and simply says, you give them something to eat. In this story in Luke, the disciples learn that the priority of Jesus is always to meet the needs of the crowd. There's a time for Christians to retreat, and that's a good thing, a necessary thing, but here I think Jesus sets a new standard when he says, you give them something to eat. And it's through you and through me, even in our weakness, our inadequacy, our self-centeredness, that Jesus is going to reach out to the crowd and do amazing things if we're open to that. And then we will be taken aback by the abundance of what he provides, even when we aren't expecting much. You might have noticed a little detail at the end of the reading that there are 12 baskets of food left over. After the exodus in the Old Testament, when God provided manna, this bread from heaven, for the hungry Israelites as they wandered in the desert, after the exodus, there was just enough food for each person. But here, under the new covenant with Jesus, there is food left over. In the presence of Christ, there is plenty of what we need as he opens our eyes to it. And it's not the false promise of our consumer society where people eat 
and eat, but never seem satisfied. No, Christ supplies a deeper abundance. Food for our bodies, food for our souls, and food for others. Others who have yet to hear, others who may not even know where to turn with their hunger. Will we give them something to eat? We read, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Reading that, I can't help but think of another meal. Jesus, at this stage, is about to set out on the lonely path that will lead him to Jerusalem, where once again he will break bread with his friends, these disciples. Except on that terrible day at the Last Supper, he'll say something different. He will say, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we're going to say that later in the service as we gather around the table for the Lord's Supper. That sacrament, which always points us to Christ, who declared in John 6 that he is, he said, I am the bread of life, that whoever comes to Jesus will never go hungry, whoever believes in him will never be thirsty. And so Jesus offers himself here and again and again and at all times as the only one who can truly satisfy us. He offers himself broken on the cross so that we can receive his grace in the forgiveness of our sins and so that we can flourish in the freedom of the Holy Spirit and the new thing that he's calling us to. As I prepared for communion this morning, I watched five or six video recordings of communion services at Knox. I'm sure I'm still going to mess it up, so be patient with me. And I was paying attention to the words. And I love what Nick says every time you celebrate communion here at Knox. He who created the universe is present to us in this bread. When Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fish, it's a sign of that power, the power behind the universe. It's a sign of that abundance breaking into the world in the form of love like we've never seen. It's a sign and a promise that in Christ, everything sad is going to come untrue. As the hobbit Sam Gamgee says to Gandalf in J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, everything sad is going to come untrue. That's what we ask for when we pray in the Lord's Prayer. May your kingdom come. And so after Easter, his followers continued to eat together. We read in Acts about the church at Pentecost, which we celebrated two weeks ago, how it knew how to have a good time. They knew how to eat well, among other things. They broke bread in each other's homes. They shared their food and their possessions with each other. They were joyful and generous and they enjoyed the goodwill of all their neighbors. We, too, have received the Holy Spirit. And through Christ, we've also received the bread of life. And so we return to the breaking of bread with a new commitment to feeding the crowd. I didn't have to go looking for the ways you're doing that here at Knox. This past Tuesday was my first day on the job, 
and I enjoyed a delicious lunch with our fantastic staff team. We filled the Winchester room. There was laughter, and there was eating, of course. How can there be fellowship without that? And today, it's Noxapalooza on my first Sunday with you. And then I'm also starting to see the other ways that we're loving the city and serving the world by meeting basic needs through partnerships with organizations like Evangel Hall or with the missionaries we support who minister around the world. I'm really excited to see the kitchen renovation wrap up, which it is doing, I think, this week, and to see all that that amazing facility will mean for the future of Knox Church. All of this is food for the body and food for the soul, as God's word is so central to who we are as a church community and moves us to serve him. And it's Jesus at the heart of all that, Jesus who personally sends us out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick and to feed the hungry. And today you can pick up a copy of the annual ministry review, or better yet, you can download it. This is it right here. And then you can plan to join us on Sunday, June 25th at the annual ministry meeting after the 11M service that day as we seek God's will as we continue to do that for Knox Church. And as you read this document, can I invite you to begin before you turn to the page that's of special interest to you, before you zero in on whatever it is you're particularly excited about, if you are, to read this, can I ask you to begin with prayer? Can I ask you to leaf through this, which represents so much of who we are as a community, so much work, so many relationships, and to pray, to pray for the parts that are of particular interest to you, but to pray for Knox. It's maybe helpful that the next day after that meeting, June 26, is the date of Toronto's election for our new mayor. As Christians, do we know how mayoral candidates plan to tackle the city's key issues of affordability, food insecurity, and poverty. When we love the city, it's not just about feeding the church crowd. And so as part of this invitation, this command that Jesus gives us, you give them something to eat. We're also called into the public square to fight for the rights of all to be fed, rights that the early church fought for in a pioneering way. In all of these things, would you consider again in your life the words of Jesus when he says, you give them something to eat? He's clearly saying that to all of his disciples, not just to the staff of the church or just to its leaders. There are no exceptions. How is the Spirit calling you to serve? And would you trust the Holy Spirit to meet you in a joyful way? Not a guilt-trippy way, but a way that could fill you with all that is good about God as you serve him. I love how the Apostle Paul puts this in Ephesians 2 when he describes the church like this. For we are God's handiwork, he says. And in the original Greek there, another translation would be masterpiece. That's you. That's us as his church. We are God's masterpiece, 
this work of art he's putting together, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. But before that, Paul starts with grace. In the preceding sentence, he writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. God is faithful. He supplies the grace we need. He will provide for you in your circumstances, the challenges you're facing today, even when you're tired and struggling and skeptical or not believing at all. So what are you hungry for right now? How are you unsatisfied? Is there a place in your life today where you could trust God with your five loaves and two fish? Maybe you're really struggling in a relationship with your kids, with your parents, in your marriage, or with a friend, a family member who has let you down. Maybe it's in your job, or your studies, or just generally finding meaning and joy in your life. Would you trust Jesus to meet you in those things and provide for you? even in the interruptions, the frustrations, and the waiting. Because God feeds us first, and then he uses us to feed others. He calls us to follow him, and then he sends us back out into the crowd, where we find ourselves again among people who are just like us, people who are hungry for what Jesus alone can provide. They all ate and were satisfied. Thanks be to God, who through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit satisfies us like no 